Welcome to episode 217 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week's interview is brought to you by Healthy Women. Their new program, Ready, Healthy, and Able, provides health resources to active duty service women and service members with female biology. And this week, I'm talking with Dr. Tiffany Lang, who is an expert consortium guiding this work. In this episode, we highlight the work that Tiffany is doing not only for women's health, but to highlight why mental health is so important to her and why she does the work that she does. And I'm really excited to share this interview because we talked a lot about not only why you should get help and how to get help for mental health, but how my mental health journey tied into some of the resources that she provided and what my experience was. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode and make sure to go over to Healthy Women's website and check out the resources they have for military women. I link to it in the show notes. So let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. So let's start with who are you? So my name is Dr. Tiffany Lang. My pronouns are feminine, she, her, and hers. I am a licensed clinical psychologist by trade, and I am one of the subject matter experts and consortium members on Healthy Women's Ready, Healthy, and Able program, which is a new initiative for active duty service women. And how did you get involved in military women specifically? Because you're not a veteran, right? Correct. So I am a military partner. So my partner is an active duty Marine Corps officer. Um, but in terms of my personal and professional path, I've always been connected to the military. My fellowship or advanced postdoctoral training was also in women's health within the Veterans Administration. When I worked at the VA for over seven years, um, we partnered regularly with the Department of Defense. I was located in Hampton Roads, and so for anyone who's familiar with that area, you know all military branches are represented here. And throughout my professional career, I've stayed connected with a number of military as well as veteran national initiatives focusing on how we can expand quality of healthcare initiatives and also look at ways that we can close the care gaps. And so I got connected to Healthy Women through a number of my professional networks, um, met with them, they shared with me the program, and it just seemed to be a natural fit for what I prioritize in my professional endeavors and also a fit for what they were looking for um, among their consortium members. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And because of your partner's role in the military, have you had to move a lot? And has that been a challenge that you've faced in your career? I think it would be the anomaly if people do not have to move or relocate for the military. <laughs> Isn't it just, you know, part of kind of the natural progression of things is thinking about various locations, navigating, you know, coverage of home duties, pet care for those who have children, navigating child care. So it is a consideration. Um, and my partner is actually looking to discharge from the military this summer. So that has been a 
top conversation topic about what does relocation look like? What is the next move going to look like? Fun fact about me, I calculated through school and life, I've moved 18 times in my adulthood. (laughs) So it's like you get really, really good at unpacking. Yeah. I'm a military spouse and we just moved this summer and it is really hard to like move and luckily I have a business so it moves with me but it was still a challenge to get everything prepared as I was like trying to get everything ready for packing and then like moving to a new place and unpacking and I just did my books for my taxes and I was like wow I didn't do anything in July and August because like I was moving across the country and like it was kind of funny there was like this lull and it was very much explained by the fact that I was moving from one side of the country to the other and so or what appeared to be a lull because I'm sure you were pretty busy and Actually, moving is one of the most stressful life experiences that we can have because of all those tasks and and things that we have to take care of, finding new driver's license, even figuring out what grocery store is going to be your favorite that you go to. It's just, it's all of it. Um, And it's one of, you know, the unique stressors of military life that I think a number of civilians, they may be aware of it, but to fully appreciate the depth of it. I think kind of those in the military and their family like truly understand the depths. I think that we just touched on like a few of the issues that, you know, or the challenges that military life brings. And when you add in like being a mom, being a woman deploying to combat zone, being surrounded by men, like all these different challenges it kind of makes sense that recent studies show that active duty service women have higher rates of mental health conditions than their male counterparts. Do you have any ideas on why you think that is? You raise a really good point in kind of our discussion about what are some of the common stressors across the board for military life. And when we look at kind of women service members, they make up anywhere from nine to 20 percent, depending on the branch that they're in. So in addition to those military stressors that all service members have to navigate, women face unique stressors, whether it's, you know, gear that's not designed for, for their body and their anatomy, um, navigating childcare concerns during deployment, um, but also having to navigate um, the very well-documented experiences of gender bias within the military, so looking at advancement opportunities, um, gender discrimination, sexual harassment, um, a number of those in terms of thinking about um, what the impact can be on the woman, it's absolutely been shown to have a negative effect on, on mental health. And so unfortunately, you know, these gender-specific stressors, um, studies are showing that it has an impact on nearly all diagnoses with women showing um, increased rates of mental health concerns. So things like adjustment disorders, uh, eating disorders, trauma reactions, depression, postpartum symptoms as well, um, and unfortunately a heightened risk for suicide. So talking about military stressors, gender-specific stressors for women service members, absolutely has a real impact on mental health and well-being. 
And would you say that the amount of resources for women specifically has also been maybe a challenge that women have faced? I'm going off my notes, but you know, because there are only nine to 20%, like the majority of service members are male. And so sometimes like when I was in and looking for resources, I really struggled to find the right resource because there wasn't something for women. It was for men and it made it really challenging. You're highlighting a really key aspect here. And so even though women represent the fastest growing demographic within the military, the research, the resources, the um, specialty care programs have not kept up with the numbers and have not kept up with the demand available. And so what that means is that there's a number of gender-specific gaps in care, in addition to kind of women's service members, but as you're talking about as well as, you know, spouses and family members of, of those who are active duty. Yeah, and there's kind of a negative stigma around mental health in the military specifically. I think it's getting better, but there's also a stigma of being a woman in the military. So, like, how does the stigma of both being a woman in the military and the stigma around military mental health in the military have an impact on women getting care. So I always find it helpful because stigma stigma is one of those terms that I think we're we're using more in society, which is which is great. You know, tackling kind of what is the stigma of mental health in our country as a whole. Um, but to to define it, that stigma is the negative attitudes or assumptions that we have towards a particular person, or in this instance, the idea of kind of mental health care and treatment. So women service members often find that they have to navigate the stigma of just being a woman in the military. A number of individuals speak to the need to having to feel like they have to outperform their male counterparts, having to prove their worth, or having to kind of challenge the assumptions that being a woman means that they're not going to be able um, and not being able to to perform their duties as as described. But we know that women are continuously exceeding those standards and serving with honor and providing kind of quality assets to to the larger armed forces. And in regards to mental health and mental health stigma within the military, it is heightened. There's a number of myths and misperceptions about what are mental health concerns and what does treatment look like in the military. And a number of women talk about this being heightened for them because they're also having to navigate kind of all of those myths about what it means to be a woman in the military. And so it's common within kind of the military culture to view mental health symptoms as a sign of weakness. And also treatment is often avoided due to concerns about the impact that it can have on someone's military position. For instance, their their security clearance. Yeah, these are all topics that we've covered in the podcast. So it's really nice to hear you like mention like so many of the themes that keep coming up through what women have shared and sharing their stories about especially the pressure to prove or to outperform or to not show weakness and like 
how that's a barrier to getting help. And for me, when I got home from my deployment, I went and talked to a counselor and she was like, well, you just deployed and you're a woman. Like, how hard it could it be? Like, essentially saying that because she just assumed based on me being a woman, not realizing that I had deployed with the infantry and that I needed help. And so overcoming like that barrier, even when you're going to get help, sometimes you face challenges. It's always disappointing to hear that those experiences occur and yet we know those experiences occur. And, you know, just the way we talk about mental health matters. You know, there are ways that we can reduce stigma by having podcasts such as this to to raise awareness, provide corrective information, empower people to seek health care. Because the more that we talk about wellness, taking consideration of the whole person, and sometimes that consideration means looking at gender-specific concerns and what needs to be addressed for someone to get quality health care, whether that's physical or mental. Yeah, that's so true. And that's why I tell my story, because I want people to know like that if this happens to you, like it's not okay, and that it doesn't mean that you shouldn't keep trying to get help because for a long time it stopped me from moving forward in my mental health journey because I mean an expert basically told me I was fine and so I was like why would I question that and but I knew that there was something wrong and so I guess my next question is where should service women start if they're looking for mental health services for those who are listening today this is always a great place to start you know inform yourself feel empowered Um, kind of debunk the myths or the misinformation you may have heard in the past. And the more that you can do your own research and be informed about your mental health, the more that you'll be able to communicate that in words and being able to speak to a provider. And, you know, within the United States, the vast majority of people, the first time that they bring up mental health concerns is with their primary care provider. And so there are a number of those out there who are knowledgeable about mental health concerns and help with getting connected. And yet there's some who are not. And so then people can feel defeated where I brought this concern up and it it didn't lead. It didn't lead to kind of getting connected. And so there are a number of options that are available out there. So do your research, feel informed, listen to this podcast. But you can also what's called self-refer to mental health treatment. You can pursue that option yourself. And there's a number of different ways that people can do that, depending upon the avenue that they want to go through. So within the military, Military One Source is an excellent place to start. So if you go to their website, they provide kind of the national um, telephone number that can help you route and get connected depending upon where you're located. For those with TRICARE, there is a Getting Mental Health Care website and page specifically directed to it that provides some information on various symptoms that can help you kind of locate a particular provider. For those who want to actually target a specific mental health provider, like they know they know the type of person that they tend to connect to, Psychology Today is an amazing resource because you can filter from your location, you can filter through your insurance. So if it is TRICARE, 
and then you can reach out to that provider directly um, and ask for an initial mental health care appointment. And then it's always worthwhile noting that the National Crisis Line 988 is an excellent resource for anyone. You can call for yourself. You can call on behalf of someone else. And 988 is often a great route for also getting connected to mental health resources as well. Yeah, those are such great resources. And I love that you said you can start by listening to a podcast because sometimes I feel like you have to take like a really big step and like listening to this podcast and getting the information is a big step. And like maybe people think it's not really a big deal, but it is a big deal to just start your journey and to start doing research and take it one piece at a time. Listen to the podcast, follow up to the resources you know, take the step to call, take it one step at a time instead of thinking like, I have to get all the way to a therapy session, like one step at a time at the pace that you can do it. Um, I really like that you said that. That's just, it's so powerful to think about like, all I have to do is take one step, listen to a podcast. I can do that. Take the next step. I can do that instead of getting overwhelmed. So I really like that. Absolutely. And to normalize that as well, that is a very common, common approach for people is to feel hesitant and to also feel overwhelmed, right? If you've never pursued or tried to access mental health care before, it can feel like, well, where do I begin? What do I say? What are they going to ask me? So it is absolutely um, encouraged and it can be a source of empowerment to start with listening to a podcast, doing a Google search, informing yourself so that you feel more confident seeking out those resources and having that initial conversation. Yeah, and I've done a few podcasts on mental health, so I'll make sure to link to them in the in the show notes so that people can find them easily, just so you can have more resources along with the resources that you just mentioned. I'll put all that in the show notes so people can find it easily. So what advice would you give to a service woman who is struggling with their mental health? Well, I think we've been weaving in advice along the way as well. And so, you know, in addition to kind of doing your own research and debunking the myths. And, you know, the other part would be don't hesitate to prioritize yourself. Mental health is a key aspect of overall wellness and well-being. And you know yourself better than anyone else. If something is feeling off or if you're feeling overwhelmed or if there's something that you're concerned about, it is absolutely valid for you to want to prioritize that. And it is absolutely encouraged to find a way to get the support and resources that you need so that you can live your best life, whatever that may look like. But that would be my advice is, is don't hesitate to prioritize yourself because you're not alone. You're not alone in having these experiences or these symptoms or these struggles it's very common. And unfortunately, women and women service members, we tend to do this thing where where we might self-doubt or are tending to kind of the needs of other people, or we're having a hard time kind of taking that initial first step, which is why it's great to sometimes start with listening to a podcast. Yeah, I a lot of those resonated with me because I mean, I went to initially get help and then I was told I was fine, but I still knew there was something wrong. And I had a lot of fear 
of going and asking for help again because I was worried that they were going to say the same thing. You're fine and it's not a big deal. That's not what happened the second time I reached out. So what should you expect during an initial mental health appointment? So uh, a lot of times they're called intakes within kind of the mental health realm. Sometimes we call them biopsychosocials. But in essence, the initial mental health appointment can take anywhere from 60 to 90 minutes. It kind of just depends on on that particular provider. But that that appointment will oftentimes look different than what an ongoing therapy appointment will look like. And the reason for that being is a lot of time is spent getting background information, getting history, what is it like to kind of grow up, also getting an idea of what are some of the current concerns, what's bringing you in to mental health treatment. So it can be helpful to kind of think through that before the initial appointment is, what do you want to get out of mental health care? And also during that initial appointment, there should be a dialogue between between you and that provider about what symptoms they're picking up on, if there's any mental health diagnoses that they're noticing or might potentially be a factor because that informs the initial treatment plan. What is your course of care going to look like? And I encourage anyone who's seeking mental health treatment to ask about the mental health treatment plan. The reason being is that mental health services are geared and their purpose is to help you gain the skills, the knowledge, the resources, the tools, anything and everything that you need to get back to daily life and perform at your at your peak and feel absolutely better. It's not necessarily to grow old with that therapy provider. It it's meant to help you live the life that you want to live. In an initial mental health appointment too, it's worth kind of talking about kind of privacy and and confidentiality since that sometimes is, you know, there's a number of myths and misinformation about it and that can lead to some hesitancy to seek services. So during the initial appointment, the mental health provider, it is an ethical requirement to do so to cover privacy and any limitations to that. And this is all covered under the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. So HIPAA, if anyone's heard of that. So within the civilian sector, privacy practices are are fairly consistent in regards to limitations of confidentiality. So in essence, everything is kept private unless there are urgent safety concerns. So risk of harm to self, risk of harm to others, any potential abuse or neglect of child, elderly, or any other vulnerable adult. In the military, there's some slight changes with that. So in addition to all those privacy limitations, also there's within the military the potential that information could be disclosed to military command. Now, where that comes in is those concerns to safety, the ones that I just mentioned, if there is a determination for fitness of duty, especially if someone is being referred internally for mental health because of that, or if there's any information that leads to concerns about ability to fulfill mission requirements. And so I think for people entering into an initial appointment, it's always helpful to be informed with the correct information 
about, you know, what you can expect out of that appointment, what is going to be covered as private, what are those limitations, and knowing that a quality mental health provider will answer any questions and concerns you might have about limitations of confidentiality or any concerns about pursuing mental health treatment. And then you get to make the decision if you want to do the mental health treatment. (laughs) So it's not like I'm going to this initial screening and now I'm locked in for life. Right. Now, in in regards to to military, there are certain instances where it does come up in regards to like, you know, ability to fulfill mission requirements, especially if it's command referred, where there's nuances with that. But for the vast majority of people who self-refer, there is a great deal of choice in regards to what mental health treatment looks like. And then also just to, to throw in a statistic there to, to debunk a myth, studies have shown that 97% of military personnel who proactively, so self-refer, seek mental health services, do not experience any negative career impact. 97. That's a good statistic and a good reminder. And I went through mental health services through Cohen Veterans Network, and they did like an initial screening. And then I had my initial appointment with my healthcare or my mental health provider. And it sounded very similar to what you were talking about, all the different steps and like having to answer a bunch of questions in the beginning and then meeting with my therapist, talking about what that screening said, what I wanted out of the therapy and all the privacy and everything like that. And so that was a really great resource. And it was also for 12 weeks. And at the end of 12 weeks, we decided that we would, I would use the tools that I learned, which I got so many tools from therapy that I could use in daily life, along with meditation and then like check in as needed. And so it's, it's not like forever. It was just, you know, 12 weeks and it was exactly what I needed. And I have so many tools that I can use when I face like the stressors or the challenges that I had from the trauma from my deployment. And so it's been really great. I really appreciate you sharing like your personal experience navigating that. People who speak up about positive experiences with mental health help to debunk those myths. I think sometimes the voices that are the loudest about mental health or those who are dissatisfied, didn't know what to expect from mental health, may not have had kind of the right fit with a mental health provider. So it's always an excellent thing to amplify the voices of those who, you know, recognize that it is possible to feel better because they had a positive experience with mental health. I mean, it is, it's been life-changing because I was stuck in a place that I thought was pretty good. And then, like, I learned all these tools and I'm like, oh, that wasn't a very good place to be. <laughs> but I've been stuck there for so long. Like, I, I tell people it was like I was in a dark room and I just had been there so long. My eyes had adjusted. And now looking back, I'm like, wow, it was really dark in there. And, you know, I needed to turn the light on. And now... I'm in a much better place and I'm continuing my mental health journey through the different things that I've learned and meditation and all the other practices. And so it's not, even though I'm not going through therapy, it's not like my journey is over and that I'm not still learning and growing. That makes my therapist heart so happy. (laughs) 
<laughs> those are, I mean, like, those are the things that provide purpose and, and why people become behavioral health professionals, whether it's a social worker, or a psychi- psychiatrist, or a psychologist, whatever it may be. Um, I would call those light bulb moments is sometimes it's really beneficial to be able to talk to someone in confidence where their only priority is you. And that's what makes it so different than the relationships we have in our day to day is that in therapy. So as a therapist, I don't know the individuals that people are talking about or the nuances. And so sometimes it's people's first experience of being able to prioritize themselves in their conversations, to dialogue without kind of concern that it'll be shared with other people, the things that they are struggling with. It really is self-care and and having that time to prioritize your own needs. So I I loved that you shared that. Yay! Yeah, so my last question is kind of long, but (laughs) Healthy Women, who is sponsoring this episode, they recently released Ready, Healthy, and Able program that provides health resources to active duty service women and service members with female biology, and you are on the expert consortium guiding this work. Can you talk more about why Healthy Women started this program and how you and your team aim to address mental health in the military? So I think the the why is a lot of the discussion and conversation we've already been having. So even with improvements to women's mental health in the military over the previous decades, those advancements have not kept up with the need women do continue to be underrepresented in research and program development, which is, you know, led to a number of those gender-specific care gaps that we talked about. And that's also impacted the availability of quality training for military healthcare providers. And importantly, if providers are not aware of the unique stressors of women's service members and their mental health care needs, then those mental health concerns will just continue to be overlooked or or minimized a little bit of what you were speaking to. And so competent gender-specific health care involves much more than good intentions. There is a degree of specialty skills required to identify those mental health concerns early and provide quality treatment. So the Ready, Healthy, and Able program aims to address these barriers through development of a research-informed quality provider training that will focus on keeping women fit for duty in an environment that not only recognizes but celebrates their contributions to military service. So it really is pulling together national level experts to determine what is needed, provide guidance and recommendations for programming so that quality, competent, gender-specific health care for both physical and mental health concerns is available to military providers and making it available to women service members. I think it's great. I love I got a chance to be interviewed for the website and for the launch and I love that they are covering important issues of what women have faced and not just like getting super technical with like the medical stuff but like having real stories of women and what they've experienced and then working to address those challenges. So I'm really excited about the work that Healthy Women is doing and the work that they've already done because I think it's 
really important and something that needs to be highlighted. And I'm just really excited that they're doing that. So thank you so much for your time and for the work that you're doing. Well, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for prioritizing this topic. Again, the way we talk about mental health care matters. And I am a firm believer that conversations are the start of change. And this podcast just serves as a platform to kind of break down that stigma for, for mental health. And so I hope there's someone someone listening who who takes this as kind of an opportunity to prioritize themselves. I want to say thank you to Healthy Women for sponsoring this week's episode. I think we talked about a really important topic, mental health, and I hope that my story helps you to know that you're not alone in your journey and that there is hope and healing. And there are a ton of resources at healthywomen.org. Just click on Military Women's Health when you go to their webpage and you can find all sorts of resources for military women. And thanks again to Healthy Women for supporting Women of the Military podcast.